an Easter that we will remember for the rest of our lives with great gratitude in our hearts. Um, Dave Palmer, thank you for providing a chair for our guests. Welcome. Welcome each of you. Years ago, uh, we had a little house in the country. We'd pray. We were living in town, and we prayed that uh, we had a bunch of kids, and we prayed that God would give us a, a rental house out in the country where the kids could run and play. And uh, not long after the kids began to pray, God answered that prayer and provided for us uh, an old uh, country house on, the, on, on a dead-end road, on the very end of a dead-end road. And so the kids could run and play all day safely, and the dog could run and play. The, 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 the road used to extend out to a bridge that went over the river, but 70 years earlier, the bridge washed out. And so now there was just a lane, a private lane that went underneath a canopy of trees all the way back to the river. And beside that was a huge hill that went up, beautiful hill. In the spring of the year, in about 1991 or 1992, I, I woke up and I had an Easter message to prepare. And I thought, it's been a long, hard, cold, snowy winter, and spring had come into the hills of central Ohio, and I put on a, a light jacket, and I took my New Testament and put it in my pocket, and I got my walking stick, and I decided that I was going to do my sermon preparation up on the hillside overlooking the valley where the river ran through. And so I took a hike that morning, and the air was noisy with birdsong, and the sun was coming up into a clear sky. I hiked up that hillside, and I, at the very top of the hill, there was a clearing. And I sat down on a log on the top of the hill and had a time of prayer. And then I pulled that little New Testament out of my pocket. And I thought, what I'll do is I will read all of the post-resurrection appearance stories of Jesus. I'll read the accounts of Jesus' resurrection, and then I'll read all of the post-resurrection stories while I sit on that log and listen to the bird song and enjoy the warmth of the sun and, and the coming of spring. I remember that morning, the message that I am going to preach to you today was conceived in my heart that morning, all those years ago. 1992, probably spring of 92. I have been sitting on this egg for a long time, and it's going to hatch today. So I was sitting there, and I was reading, and I was reading in Matthew and noticing the post-resurrection appearances. Do you have a favorite? I think about Mary going to the tomb and then going away and then meeting Jesus in the way or the post-resurrection appearance where Jesus met the women who had come to prepare. There's even a little reference in 1 Corinthians to a personal post-resurrection appearance where Jesus met James. Obviously, one of my favorite 
post-resurrection appearance accounts is at the very end of Matthew, where Jesus goes back to Galilee and he's agreed with the disciples that he'll meet them on the mountain. And there were probably a large number of disciples there on the mountain. That's a beautiful post-resurrection appearance story. There's a, there's a story of doubting Thomas who wanted to believe but couldn't. And there are probably in these cars today a number of people who sincerely want to believe but they're bothered with doubt. And there was Thomas and Jesus cared for him and he blew away his doubts. And then as you know, Thomas went on to die a martyr's death, courageously proclaiming the risen Lord. That's a wonderful post-resurrection appearance story. One of the most beautiful post-resurrection appearance stories is the story that we call the road to Emmaus. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be on that road walking that day with those disciples and to have the risen Christ himself fall in with you and begin to talk with you and begin to describe, begin to point out the Old Testament references to his life and then even to receive a welcome to dinner and then for your eyes to be open in the breaking of the bread. What would it have been like to be walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus? But I suppose my, maybe my favorite post-resurrection appearance story is in Galilee. It's near Capernaum, the hometown of a man whose name was Peter. And Peter had denied the Lord three times. And Peter, in defeat, had gone back home and gone back to his old profession, fishing again. And out fishing one morning, there was a, there was a dark figure over on the shore. And, and, and they called out, you know, how's the fishing, right? And it was uh, deja vu, right? This had happened before. Peter, John recognizes Jesus. Peter, at that point, jumps into the water and swims to shore. Remember this? This uh, post-resurrection appearance account is found in the, at the end of the Gospel of John. And, and to shorten it a bit, Jesus is making breakfast in the morning for the disciples. And that's the time when Jesus says to Peter, after Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus gently restores Peter and he puts Peter back on the team after his shameful failure. But the story that I noticed when I was sitting on the log that morning, all those years ago, it wasn't really a happy story like that. It wasn't really even a post-resurrection appearance story. It was a post-resurrection appearance story that could have been, but it wasn't. In the Bible, in Matthew, in chapter 28, it's the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Just before it commences, here's what it says in chapter 62, or verse 62 of chapter 27. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, this was the Sabbath, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, 
while he was still alive. After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he that the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, or take a guard of soldiers, and go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and by setting a guard. Think for a minute of some of the characters involved here. Here you have Pilate, who's already probably pretty irritated with this whole mess. And here you have the high priest and the Pharisees coming to Pilate and saying, remember that he claimed he was going to rise again on the third day? I think his disciples are going to come and they're going to steal his body and then they're going to claim he rose again and you're never going to hear the end of this guy. So I think, they said to Pilate, you should give us a guard and then you should seal the tomb and make sure nobody steals the body. And I imagine that Pilate was irritated with them and said, all right, you have a guard. It probably was a Roman guard. It might have been a temple guard, but it's probably Roman guards that he assigned to them. In other places in the Bible, sometimes they go in a group of four or, or uh, uh, at the cross or four at the uh, in, incarceration of the apostle Paul later for one man, there were 16. But this was a time of Passover and the city would have swelled with many. It would have been it would have been a volatile, politically volatile time. And then there were at least 12 of the inner circle, the disciples, and there were dozens, if not hundreds, of course, of other followers. They probably put a fairly large group of guards on this assignment. We don't know. But there were certainly more than a few. And so they assigned these guards. Think about this for a minute. They assigned these guards to guard the tomb and make sure that nobody came and stole the body of Jesus away and made a false claim that he rose again in fulfillment of his own prophecy. Now, here's what happens. Chapter 28. After the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. Listen, in verse 4 says, And the guards, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now here's my imagination. If you're a Roman guard, or even a temple guard, if you're a Roman guard, you are not easily frightened. And these Roman guards, when they saw this amazing spectacle of, an, of a brilliant man who was an angel rolling back the stone, they were frightened like they were dead. Verse 4, fear of him, for fear of him the guards trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, 
do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. He, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I've told you. So they, the women, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and he said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. What an amazing story. Can you imagine the appointment his disciples would meet with him up in Galilee, where most of them were from. And so the narrative then, as it comes to the close of the Gospel of Matthew, the last story in the Gospel of Matthew is the story of his disciples going 60 to 80 miles north and meeting him on a mountain in Galilee. And this is where he says, go into all the world and make other Jesus followers. But just before that final story, there's a little story that's tucked in that the Lord showed me that morning up on that hilltop in the spring. I want to read it to you. Here's what it says. It's from verse 11. While they were going, the women going, after they'd get, gotten the announcement from the angel and just before they had ran into Jesus, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a significant sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him, and we will keep you out of trouble. Now, verse 15 is the text of my message today, the next verse. And the title of my message today is called, Show Me the Money. Show Me the Money. And I'll tell you why. In verse 15 it says, the soldiers took the money and they did as they were instructed. The, the guards took the money and they did what they were told. Think of the tragedy of that. Now here were these guards, these, these Roman soldiers, if you will, or they, they, they perhaps were temple guard, but here were these men who had seen a miraculous thing, an amazing thing, a powerfully, a blinding light that caused them to tremble in fear and probably overheard this conversation and they also could have had a post-resurrection appearance with Christ. They also could have followed him. They also could have been forgiven. They also could have been secure. They also could have been written into the story as disciples, as apostles, as witnesses, as martyrs. These men were to be, they were men that should have been known for their courage and for their valor and for their bravery and for the character, but they weren't. They took the money and they did what they were told. 
think about those men, and I wonder, how much money were they given to sell their souls to the devil? How much money were they given to deny the living Christ? How much money were they given that would buy their silence for the rest of their lives, that would cause men that were supposed to be courageous to cower and, and fear and, and, and participate in a dark scheme to cover up this most wonderful story that ever was told? How much money did they get a week's pay? Did they get a month's pay? What did they do with that money? Where did it go? Here's what we know about money. Money takes wings and flies away. And the money that we put our security in will soon be gone. And the job that we put our security in may or may not be here tomorrow. And the person that we look to for our security may or may not be someone that we can depend on for our security. And what we could easily do is we could do the same thing the guards did, and that is to locate our security and locate our comfort and locate our treasure and locate really our functional God in something other than the risen Christ. And what a tragedy that would be. And there are other characters in the story who, who came to Pilate to appeal for the guards. The Bible says it was the, the chief priest and the Pharisees. Now, if you've been to Sunday school, you know the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember this, right? Your Sunday school taught, teacher taught you that the difference between, one of the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And what did your Sunday school teacher say then? That's why they were sad, you see because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they had this debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the reality of the afterlife. And the Pharisees paid money to suppress the evidence that a man had rose again. What happens when we locate our security and our comfort and our functional God in something other than the risen Christ is we do things that don't even make sense that aren't even logical. And so these Pharisees, they could have also followed the risen Christ. These high priests of all people should have recognized that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, come from God, lived a perfect life, healed the sick, raised the dead, caused the blind to see, fed 5,000, loved unlovely people. They should have recognized he was the king of the universe who would die and rose again and would live forever. These Pharisees and these high priests could have followed him. They should have followed him, but they didn't do it. What folly, what sadness. A story that would have been beautiful to write, but it couldn't be written because they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Been thinking about you all this week as we approach Easter and as we're all going through this, this terrible waves of hardship, the fear and the loss and the disease and, and the death that are sweeping across not just our nation but all the world right now, our only hope is in the eternal life that we're offered through Jesus Christ alone who alone died and rose again and conquered death. 
Think of this now. Think of this. In the context of your life, the hardships and the sadness and the difficulties and the fear and the things that have come upon us. Think about this for a minute. Is there a, was there a man named Jesus who came from heaven and became a man and lived a life without sin and taught and healed and cast out demons and caused the blind to see and fed hungry people? Was there a man named Jesus? Yes, there was. Was he crucified on a Roman cross? Yes, he was. Was the tomb empty? Yes, it was. Even his enemies admit the tomb was empty. Did he rise from the dead? Believers say, yes, he did. Now think about this. There are other religions in the world, and they're based on philosophies, and they're based on teachings, sometimes nice teachings, meaningful teachings, moral teachings, wise teachings. Other religions in the world are based on the teachings or the ethic or the philosophy of other people. But Christians follow a risen Savior, a man who came from heaven, claimed to be God, died, said he was going to rise again, rose again, and was seen among men and ascended back into heaven. And he said he's coming back one day. Think about this. Jesus Christ, who was buried and rose again, we decide right now if we believe in him. We decide if we're going to follow him. When I was a boy, around this time of the year, my mother would frequently sing a song. It was called, What Will You Do With Jesus? I wrote the words down. It goes like this. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken, what meaneth the sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? And then the chorus goes like this. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? C.S. Lewis came to Christ. He, he was a, a, an Oxford Don in England. He came to Christ, and during the war in England, he had a robust ministry speaking to RAF pilots, speaking to British pilots, young men. And in, upon reflection, after speaking to a number of different groups of British pilots, he said, here's what I've noticed about these young men today. He said, you will notice that they have God in the dock. God in the dock. What he meant was that there is, the, there is uh, a, a, a place of judgment and God has been put on the witness stand and these young men are deciding if they are going to believe in him. Today, God is in the dock with most people. God is on trial like Jesus was on trial. But I want you to understand something. This man, Jesus, who died and rose again, he is no longer on trial. You and I one day, we will be on trial before him. And believers in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who believe in Christ. For those of us who believe that Jesus rose again, we don't have to look forward to a time of judgment or condemnation. We'll have the judgment seat of Christ where we'll stand before Christ 
and we'll be rewarded for our works. But for those who say they're not sure they believe or they don't believe in Jesus, they will stand before Christ and he will judge them. Where do you place your security in these days? Where do you place your affection in these days? What do you count on? Think about this. Are you easily bought like the guards? Yeah, or, or for the sake of your own little kingdom that you've arranged for yourself, would you easily set Jesus Christ aside like the Pharisees did in their folly and foolishness, rejecting Christ? And are you tempted even now in these dark, difficult times of hardship? Are you tempted to believe that Jesus Christ is not the living God? I will tell you that one day you'll stand before him. One day we'll all stand before the Lord. And he won't be in the dock. We will be in the dock. Years ago, I, a few years ago, three years ago, almost exactly, I went through a dark time in my life. Told you the story, many of you. And um, our pastorate, where we were, it, kinda, it came to an end, and it came to an end in a sad, sudden way. And as a matter of principle, I decided that I would resign the church that I was pastoring. And we arranged with the leaders of the church to have a generous severance paid to us, which was uh, a bit of security for me. I'm not going to have a church. I'm not going to have hospitalization insurance. I'm not going to have any income. We, we, I was grateful that we had arranged this generous severance that was going to take us through several months. And I was talking. I decided that I would get in my car, as many of you know, get in my red Jeep, and that I would drive to camps and conferences and churches, wherever I could, all spring and summer and fall, and just preach. And the Lord allowed me to preach 117 times in that spring and summer and fall. And he led, he led us here in the, on the 17th of September in the fall. But I didn't know that at the time. I, I didn't know if I would ever pastor church again. I didn't know if I would always be an itinerant preacher driving from place to place preaching. And so during that time, I called a friend who is a very capable, a successful, itinerant preacher from Tennessee. And his name was Tommy Oakes. And he's an old storyteller, brilliant man, but an but old storyteller type guy from down the mountains of Tennessee. And I called a number of my friends and asked them what it would be like to do this itinerant ministry. I remember the conversation I had with Tommy Oakes. I'll never forget it. I called him on the phone and I said to him, uh, how, do you, how do you live? Do you have people support you? Uh, how, do you have a, an income? Did you have an income from before? Uh, do you have like a retirement income or something? He said, no, Ken. He said, I just depend on the Lord. I just depend on the Lord. That's what I do. And that's what I've always done. And the Lord provides, what he said. I said, oh, well, I said, that's, that's good. I, I have a severance. It's not, not it's, goes to the end of the year, I have, a, have a, a, about a, 10 months of severance pay coming. And, and, I, and on the end of the line, <laughs> on the end of the line, it got really quiet right then. And this old boy from Tennessee, he says to me at that point, he says, Ken, I don't know about that severance thing. I don't know about that. He said, Ken, I, I've seen a lot of guys prostitute themselves for that severance pay. He said, I, I don't know about that. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad I have it. <laughs> he said, well, he said, Ken, let me put it this way. 
He said, if you're going to be an itinerant preacher, you're going to have to learn to depend on the Lord. And if you're going to learn to depend on the Lord, you might as well start right now. And when he said that, it's like electric shock went through me because I knew, and I think the Spirit of God said, said to me, that is true. If you're going to learn to depend on the Lord, if you're going to depend on the Lord, you might as well start now. Not long after that, through a disagreement, that severance was taken away, and I had no income, and I had no insurance, I had no human security. If we follow the money in your life, where will it take us? If we pay attention to what you're depending on, where will it take us? If we pay attention to what you really love, if we follow that, that you really love, where will it lead us? At the end of the day, when our life comes to an end, when our fears come to fruition, when our funds are taken away, what is it that we really have upon which to build our life? We have risen Christ. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of god was laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was waged the power of hell forever broken and the ground began to shake the stone was rolled away his perfect love could not be overcome now death where is your sting our resurrected king has rendered you defeated love could not be overcome 
now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. Forever He is glorified. Forever He is lifted high. Forever He is risen. He is alive. He is alive. And we sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. pronounce a benediction over you and before I do I want to appeal to you if you don't know the Lord as your Savior today if you're not confident that you have eternal life if you don't know for sure that if you died you'd go to heaven it doesn't have to be that way Jesus Christ died and he was buried and he rose again and he ascended to heaven and he's coming back someday to judge the living and the dead and those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Christ can have confidence that we have eternal life. When I was a little boy, this is the story my parents told me. And when I heard it, I loved it and I believed it. And I got on my little knees and I said, I want to be your follower, Jesus. And Jesus took me to himself. He's never turned away. And today, if you're not sure that you know Jesus Christ, you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you're not sure that you have a place in heaven, Stop where you are right now and breathe a prayer of repentance to God and ask him to save you and make you his child and you will be born again. Many of you that are here, I know you already know the Lord and you love the Lord and yet these dark times that we're passing through are challenging your faith. 
I want to remind you that no matter what happens, Jesus Christ conquered death. Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. He's the King of Kings, and he's the Lord of Lords. And now, may the God of peace, who brought back again from the dead our Savior, the Lord Jesus, may he equip you all with all that you need to do his will, and may he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, all that is pleasing to him. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.